Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. Another one here on the Business Bros. And guess what, ladies and gents? We're going to be talking about the thing you're scared the most of. Sales. Yep, I know. Everybody is. Even if you say you're a professional, you still struggle sometimes to get it done whether you want to or not. So let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It could be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Bros. All right, ladies and gents, today we're going to be talking about that topic that many people shy away from. That's right, sales. But our guest is here to change that perception and show us how embracing sales can help us get more of what we want in work and in life. She's a top-rated speaker, best-selling author, and consultant with a background in both college teaching and sales. With a master's in communication and a doctorate in organizational communication, she's also a doctor and is passionate about bringing people and companies together to grow their businesses. She'll be sharing her revolutionary five-step formula that is easy to remember, easy to stick, and easy to achieve. So let's welcome to the show the one and only Dr. Cindy McGovern. And just like that, welcome to the show, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun already, and we just got started. I'm loving it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. High energy. Just talk about what it is you do. You're already changing so many people's lives. All right, Dr. Cindy, I got to ask you, you went to college. You have the traditional uh, degrees. You could have gone into having teaching anything that had to do with that degree. And yet you're talking about sales. Why? What, where, where'd you get, where'd you turn off and go in that direction? So it's funny that you ask, and it's a great question because I never wanted to be in sales. I always thought it was this icky, pushy, manipulative. Like I had the same avatar of a salesperson that probably most people do that I'm, I'm not pushy. I can't force people into making a decision. And so I was a college professor for a little while, went into consulting full time. And about six months into the role as a consultant, I got put in a sales job and I thought, I'm going to get fired. I can't, I can't do this. Like, and I was selling with like my colleagues that were selling have been doing it their whole lives, super fast talking, slick, funny, good on their feet. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. I can't do it. <laughs> so what I realized was I had been selling my whole life. I just didn't call it sales. I called it helping or supporting somebody. And I thought, why didn't I learn this? Oh my gosh. Like I have three degrees in communication. I never learned that sales is a life skill. So that's what shifted everything for me. I literally woke up that moment and said, I have to help other people to learn that sales is not a business skill. It's a life skill and it's not disgusting. Okay. So easier said than done. I've listened to <laughs> some of the greats, the Jim Rohns and the Zig Ziglar's of the world, and they are smooth talking, fast talking, <laughs> amazing salespeople. Uh, but at the core, they're describing exactly what you said. They're there to help. None of them are pushy. None of them are very salesy. You don't feel like you're talking to that guy who's selling you that used car at the end of the day, right? None of them teach that way. 
But yeah, we have that stigma. And when I know it's time to start calling down my list and going through my CRM, I freak out, right? I'm, I'm like, um, I'd rather clean my toilet and wash the dishes than trying to go down that list. So how do we get over that? So the first thing is to remember that nobody does this life alone. And most people want to help. So like, I'm a bit of a helpaholic, truth be told. Like I love helping people. I think it feels really good. But at our core, we really do want to help other people. The problem is most people don't know how to help you. They don't know what it is they're supposed to do to support you. Even your friends and family, right? Like when you started your podcast, your friends and family were like, cool, but they don't know what to do. They don't know mm -hmm. how to support that. Same thing when I wrote my first book, they're like, Okay, awesome. So helping people to know what it is that you deliver on and how they can support that. And it's literally help begets help begets help. But you got to get over that ickiness and recognize that the people that you're about to call down on probably do want to help you at the end of the day. They just need you to ask them. Yeah. And it's a, it's a strange situation. I always tell people at first they laugh at you, then they ask you for advice. Right. So, you know, getting started <laughs> on the podcast space versus you starting a podcast. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. Now they're like, you know, 1,088 episodes in they're like, Oh wait, you actually make money off this thing. Oh wait, you're booked out. So how did you do that? Yeah. First they laugh at you. Then they ask you for advice. So let me ask you about imposter syndrome. Cause I think this is where a lot of situations uh, well, people stop at that situation, right? I'll give you a, an example. Doing this whole podcast space, gotten really good at creating content and and helping people with their content creation stuff. Um, and my background is in real estate and accounting. And I was talking to my brother the other day and he was like, you know, why don't you help out real estate agents, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing I said was, well, you know what? I don't sell nearly as many houses as they do. And he was like, I'm gonna stop you right there. That is imposter syndrome creeping in, right? You have a different skill set and how you're going to help them. You don't have to compare on what you do because those are completely different things. Imposter syndrome is one of those things that pops up all the time. How do you deal with it when it comes to salespeople? How do you address it? So first of all, big props to him because that's exactly right. And we all have imposter syndrome. It creeps up with everybody. And truthfully, I think it's a value. I, I think it's a good thing to have a little bit of that because it keeps you humble, keeps you on your game a little bit. And so the way to, to battle that is to recognize that everybody's got it. But he said something very valuable to you. It's like, stop right there. Don't get into that headspace. Mm -hmm. You show me an Olympic athlete that has a coach that can perform better than they do. Don't exist. <laughs> and I'll tell you, imposter syndrome is fake, right? Like it's we all have a skill set. We all have a skill set that we bring to the table. So part of this is recognizing that your skill set doesn't have to be exactly like everybody else that came before you. And that was part of what happened to me in sales. Is I realized I didn't have to sell the way they did. I needed to sell it in a way that was authentic to me. And so when you start recognizing the goal is not to be them, but the goal is to be the best version of you. It changes things, but you have to give yourself permission to step into that spotlight in your own life and to recognize it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable to begin with. But I do believe the imposter syndrome is a healthy 
level of uh, stress and, and uncomfortableness. <laughs> yeah, it, to it totally is. Once you get over yourself, you realize, oh, this is actually kind of fun. Well, let's yeah. talk about uh, no, right? The, the no word is one of those things that salespeople fear over and over and over again, whether it's a number of different objections that, of course, your sales training is going to supposedly cure all objections until you're actually there and you hear the no and you're like, okay, I'm sorry, and you hang up the phone real quick and run away, right? But usually what I've learned is no usually doesn't mean N-O. It usually means you just don't know enough yet, K-N-W-O, right? So, you know, when people are dealing with this no thing and you said, you know, you got to kind of get uncomfortable to get there, how do you help them get past the no's? How do you help them get past the objections so that they can get to that phase where they're like, this is fun? Yeah. So, I think no is a perfectly acceptable response and it's actually the best gift you can get as a dedicated salesperson. And as an entrepreneur, you're going to hear no more than you're going to hear yes in the beginning. And everybody listening to this show and everybody watching it knows that, right? Like we've literally all been told no had every door shut in our face. And then we were like, all right, well, we'll just keep doing this. But it's recognizing that that is a word that doesn't actually have power unless you give it power. And anybody that was five years old, your name was no when you were a five-year-old. <laughs> yes. It didn't phase you because you were like singularly focused on, I'm getting that cookie, I'm getting that toy, like I don't care. If the mission is greater than the fear, no will not affect you. And that's mm -hmm. what you have to be connected to. You have to be connected to that mission. You have to be connected to your value that you're going to provide the world and overcoming that. But recognizing it doesn't have any power. And... It's actually a wonderful answer because it's going to tell you where not to spend any of your time. And I know I've had literally thousands and thousands of salespeople that I've coached and trained over the years who are like, oh, I'm, but they're telling me there's a chance. No, they're not. Push for the no. Like you are wasting your time calling on that person that's a maybe. A maybe is a slow no. Push for the mm -hmm. no. Find out why the answer is no right now and move on. You got other stuff to go do. <laughs> I like that. So you're you're fishing for the no. You're trying to get as many no's as you possibly can. Are you turning it? Are you like gamify, gamifying this thing? Like how many no's can I possibly get out of this person? <laughs> so I actually do this with beginning salespeople and entrepreneurs that I'm coaching. I have them go for the no's because you know that it's a numbers game. Sales always is a numbers game. It's like the Hall of Fame is a numbers game. Everybody knows that. So if you know that every fifth person you ask, they say yes, then ask the, ask the fifth person, keep going. But we get in this space of we allow no to stall our progress and our productivity. And you can't let it do that. It needs to fuel it. It really needs to be, okay, we need to move forward. This was a no, I got to go get four more because I know one of those is actually going to be the yes. And until you give it that level of understanding and you really sit with that, you're going to give it too much power. Let it go. Let it go. All right, Dr. Cindy, I'm good at asking questions. I've been on this podcast space for a while, you know, or maybe you're talking to a sales rep and they're like, okay, but I can hold a conversation. I can ask people questions. The problem is I have a fear of asking for the sale. What's the difference between getting in inquisitive and being curious and getting to know the client, but not actually asking for the sale? That's probably the biggest key question we need to get to. And people have a fear of doing that. How do we overcome it? Is they're still afraid of the no. They haven't they haven't come to terms with a no. So I would literally coach that person, say, go get as many no's as you can today and then come back and talk to me because you're mm. not going to die. It's not going to be the end of the world. Like you're not, nothing is going to happen other than the fact that you know those are closed doors and you need to go knock on different ones. But when you're really reaching out and you're asking, a lot of times people just don't know how to ask. 
And so they assume, I assume that I had a great conversation with you. Like we're jiving, you trust me. So cool. You're going to send business. No, no, no. There needs to be a question there. We live in a question and answer society. The world works this way. Any, ask anyone who's married. Somebody asked somebody a question at some point. Yeah. So if you want that level of commitment from a customer, you need to solicit that. You need to ask it. So practicing how you want to ask, just like you practice a marriage proposal, is really beneficial exercise. And it also helps you to know so that when you get to the moment in that inquisitive conversation, you're ready. You know the buying signals. And you're like, okay, this is my moment to ask. All right. You wrote the book, Sell Yourself. I can see it sitting right behind there. You got a couple other books that you've written. What was your experience like in writing the books and who'd you write them for? <laughs> so great question. I wrote these books for my 20 year old self. Literally, mm. I wish that I had been taught what's in these books back here. And the first book, Every Job is a Sales Job, I wrote because I didn't know that sales was a life skill. And then Sell Yourself is about selling your personal brand and establishing trust in your personal brand and recognizing that if you want your network to work for you, they need to know what they're selling. And so I wish that I had been taught these lessons. And so it's my gift that I hope people take these and it helps them to reach their own goals. Is there a difference when you're when you're teaching people sales when you're doing it like a one-on-one -on -one coach versus like a sales team? Like what is there is there a different dynamic going on there? I, I do think there is because in a team environment, it depends on how the team works, right? If there's a lead gen and then there's somebody that's actually coming in to have the conversation and then there's a somebody that's the closer, that's a little different than the entrepreneur who's maybe doing soup to nuts. So it looks at the sales process, but I do believe the process is the same. It's still the same steps. It's just who's executing them and how you're working on each other's strengths. And I know that I've done team selling in the past and it was like, we knew what each other was going to say. It was like, I'm going to say this and then he or she's going to say that. And then you play off of each other. But when it's just you, you're playing all the, all the roles on the stage. And so you've got to have it fairly well orchestrated. So you know what to say, when to say it, how to say it to get the best possible outcome in that moment. All right. The process I understand is vitally important. And you got a five-step formula, right? Walk me through that. So I believe that sales is both an art and a science. And so the science part of it is the formula. It's the five steps. And then the art part comes in, in terms of how you execute those for yourself, how you bring your own superpowers, as I call them. So step one is having a plan. And I know that's sort of a, well, duh, of course we need a plan, but I find that people have goals not plans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have the vision of where you want to go, but what are the steps to get there? A true plan is like a recipe. So what is the recipe for success? Have you been clear on that? Have you looked at what you want to bring to the world, how you're going to bring it, who can help you and what the actionable steps are to achieve it? And then the second thing is you look for the right opportunity. And I think they're everywhere. I think everybody is a potential client, advocate, somebody that can assist but they need to know what you want them to do with that. So you have to look for those opportunities. And then the third step is establishing trust by listening. And that no is a big lesson as well. So <laughs> listening to the no's and figuring out why people don't want to buy from you. Maybe there's something wrong. Then asking, asking for the business. And then last, but certainly not least, is following up with gratitude. And I think that there's gratitude in every interaction whether it was a yes, no, or the dreaded maybe, I'd rather have a no than a maybe. And so learning from that, and then that fuels the tweaking of the plan. So it's a bit circular, actually, in nature. 
Let's talk about those in individual pieces. The plan, you said having a recipe for success. And and I like how you said that there's goals that people have, not necessarily the step-by-step. And I know you've worked with a lot of different sales, uh, well, salespeople that don't know their salespeople quite yet. What's some of the things that you see commonly that they're lacking in their plan? Or maybe they have bits and pieces, but they need some to, to fill in some of those holes. It's such a great question. So one of the biggest missing components of a sale is the execution strategy. You got the vision of what you want. You know, like going back to your real estate days, you know how many sides of the deal you want to do. You know how many houses you want to sell. You know how many buyers you want to work with. How many people do you actually need to talk to to make that happen? And then how do you get in front of them and how do you stand out from the rest of the crowd? And so my most recent book, Sell Yourself, is really about how you're selling your brand because they're buying you. They're not buying the process. They're not buying the house. They're buying you first. So that's a big piece. That's a missing component for folks is how are you building the brand around you? And it's very funny. I I have found with entrepreneurs in particular, they have great ideas, great products, great companies that they want to buy, but they forget to sell themselves. You have to Mm. sell me on you before I'm going to buy whatever it is you're selling. So you've got to have a plan to sell me on why I should trust you. I love that. I heard a a saying that said, uh, there's no such thing as million dollar ideas, only million dollar execution. That was by Billie Jean. And I love that because it's absolutely true. We all have ideas. Do we execute uh, a plan on those ideas? What about the opportunity, right? So opportunity favors the prepared. The opportunity you said is all around us. We just need to find it, take advantage of it. How does one start to see opportunity where they once saw scarcity maybe? You know what? I love that term. And I and I tend to come from a place of abundance versus scarcity. So I, I love that mindset of it. But once you have that plan in place, it's actually easier to spot them. So if you go back and you even just think about something in your life, like you're looking for a blue car and you start noticing all the blue cars on your street, it changes your level of self-awareness and awareness around you. And so it's the same thing. When you have a solid plan in place, you know the kind of people you need to talk to. When I wrote my first book, Every Job is a Sales Job, I knew I wanted to go with a top 10 publisher. And so I was on the hunt, but I didn't know my butt from a biscuit. I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I'm like, I gotta find an agent. I gotta figure this thing out. Like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was hyper-focused on that. So I was interviewing everybody that I knew that had written a book. I was talking to people that I knew had self-published and why they self-published. And I was just sort of hyper-focused on that ended up sitting on an airplane next to somebody in publishing. (laughs) Just (laughs) completely random occurrence. But had I not had that plan in place and knowing I wanted to publish that book in the next year and a half, I had an 18 month window that I wanted to do it. I wouldn't have struck up that conversation. I would have chatted with them, but it wouldn't have been top of mind to sort of pitch myself and this book idea that I had. And that person she was in publishing. She wasn't a publisher. She was working for them, introduced me to an agent, taught me the process, introduced me to other people. And then as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. And, and that totally plays into the opportunity favors the prepared, right? You were hyper-focused. Your, your reticular activator was on full alert. You were seeing things all over the place. The moment you sat down next to somebody and they presented themselves as, you know, Hey, I, I'm in publishing. Oh, really? Do I got a million questions for you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the perfect opportunity that you were prepared for over time. And I think that's what people don't quite understand is all the work that you're putting into when the opportunity presents itself, 
you're the most prepared out of anybody else. It's why Kobe makes a shot. It's why Jordan was the, is the ghost. It's why Tom Brady does what he does. They're prepared for the situations that come up. Um, trust. Now that one is a little more difficult. Uh, a lot of people try to make the sale on that very first pitch right off the bat, and people just don't always work with you right off the bat. How do you develop that trust? So this is one of the most important lessons, and even seasoned salespeople mess this up. So I think there's a huge difference between rapport and trust. I can mm -hmm. like you. I can hang out with you. I can let you take me to lunch and tell me all about your product or service and still not trust you enough to buy it. Trust is I'm willing to be vulnerable with you so that you can tell me why you have a solution for me. Very different space. And a lot of people confuse them. And part of the reason they confuse them is because they're too quick to push their own agenda. And so it's not about your agenda. It's about the other person's agenda. And if you're really, truly planned out, you're hyper-focused on looking for the right opportunity. When you get to that moment, you're going to know whether it's the right fit or not. You're going to know whether you push the idea or you plant a seed that you'll go back and, you know, water a little later. But I wouldn't sort of, you know, the old sales saying, and you know, this is don't spill your candy in the lobby. That's what ends up happening is we get overzealous and we skip the trust step. And then you go right into pushing and asking for the business. I have to believe that you have my best interest at heart. Or I don't care what you're selling. I don't want what you're selling. I have to trust you before I'm ever going to trust your product or service. Now, you said, you know, that a lot of times this is one of those things where it takes time. Maybe it's part of your sales cycle. This is why in real estate, your sales cycle might be six months to a year. Uh, and what's funny about this is you ever talk to the guy in the office who's been there for 20 years, the top sales guy, it seems like all the deals are just coming his way. Like he never does any prospecting. So the rookie comes in, he's like, well, I just got to do what that guy does. No big deal. But you're skipping that whole trust step. It's the relationships that they're building over time, the seeds that they're planting, the help that they're doing, the listening to the problems, the managing the CRM so that you know what problems these people are having so that the opportunities start to come in and they start to roll. Because once you have that trust, not only do you get that sale, but now you're that person's go-to for your product or service, right? That's 100% right. And it's funny because I was actually doing a webinar for realtors earlier today. And in there, somebody had asked one of the questions around like, when do you know your SMART goals are right or wrong? And where do you, you know, overcome if you get stuck with them? And I think a lot of it has to do with, have you really established trust with your community so that they're advocating for you? Because as you're executing on those goals and you hit a wall, that means that you're not doing something. Mm. And a lot of times the something you're not doing is motivating your network. And the reason your network is not working for you is because they don't trust you. So it's a bit of self-awareness. It's a bit of a blind spot in your personal brand. You got to watch for that because those are the people that are going to help you. And that's that, that guy that's been there for 35 years and the deals are rolling in. It's because his network is working for him. Mm -hmm. He did something to teach them to be his advocate. And that's really, we got to go back to our goals on how we're building that out. Makes a big difference. All right. Next one you got is ask. All right. I kind of talked about it earlier on, right? Asking for the sale. At what point do I know that I trust or my client trusts me enough or that I'm in a position to actually ask for the sale to get that no, or hopefully the so, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. So part part of it is just recognizing buying signals. And a little bit of this is where the art comes in, right? You you read the body language, you read the conversation, you read the moment. But I think that one of the things that most seasoned sales pros kind of mess this up is that they wait too long to ask. I'd rather know where we stand because if the answer is no right now, I didn't do a good job of explaining or I didn't do a good job of asking or I didn't do a good job of establishing trust. I need to know that. So if maybe in that moment I can backtrack, but if I can't, I need to know for the next time because I did something wrong here or I left something out. So a lot of folks think, oh, well, it's not the time to ask. I haven't earned the right to ask. Wow. Okay. Did this person agree to meet with you? Did this person agree to listen to your product or service or your pitch or whatever the heck it is? Uh, I'd say you earned the right to ask. That's like going to a restaurant and then not asking if you want food. You walked in, you read the menu. <laughs> you know, So don't be afraid of that ask. And it lets you know where you stand. You've got to know where you stand or else you're going to waste a lot of time. And that's your, where your return on time invested goes way down is you fall in love with the potential and you think, oh, they keep telling me that, oh, they're going to come around. No, I either want to buy from you or I don't. Mm. And I'm going to make a decision right now. And you need to know what that is. And then you need to learn from it. Absolutely. All right. Last one you got here is follow-up. And uh, this is where the money is made for 99% of all salespeople. It's in the follow-up. We make the introduction. Maybe we build some rapport. We still need to work on that trust, but we don't do that because we do not follow up. They sit in their CRM. Maybe they get a drip email, but that's not really the follow-up you're talking about here. Explain what you mean by follow-up. So I, my hobby is collecting people, literally. Like I love people. I love hearing their stories. I love collecting folks. And so it's just kind of a little bit natural to me to keep in touch with people because I want to know what's going on with them. But I think this is the part that in sales, we kind of let this go and we allow it to automate. So like you said, a drip campaign or you get an automatic birthday card for me or a holiday card. The problem is that's a very crowded space. Everybody calls on your birthday. Everybody calls on Christmas. Everybody calls on Hanukkah. Everybody calls on New Year. Everybody calls on whatever. Stand out and show me that you actually want to follow up with me as a human being because that builds trust. That shows me that you're not just doing this because you're checking a box that you had to send me a quarterly newsletter or you're checking a box because you had to send me a holiday card. Build the trust and make sure that you're controlling the narrative that I'm telling about you because I'm telling something or mm -hmm. worse yet, I'm telling nothing. So if I'm not saying anything, you want to spark that by that follow up. And then you also want to follow up and make sure I'm continuing to advocate for you in the appropriate manner. Maybe you started a new division to your company. Maybe you have a new product or service that you're offering. Am I telling that or am I still telling people what you did in 1997? <laughs> so it's it's our responsibility to control that narrative out there. And the way to do it is follow up, which actually, if you make the time for it, it's actually really fun. I enjoy reconnecting with folks. I enjoy staying in touch with people. And I'm not saying you have to take everybody on the planet to lunch, like text with them, call them, have a quick video chat. It's just a way to make sure your network continues to work for you. Yeah, I was going to follow up with that too as well. One of my favorite ways to do it is just send a video DM, whether it's a like in a message, like a text message or whatever. And it's just a quick thing because 
I know I'm, I'm busy. I don't always answer the phone. I'm not going to, you know, but I'll, I'll read a text message. I'll watch one of those videos and I'll respond when I get back to it. But it gives that personality of who I am. And you kind of remember you put the voice and the face together and you're like, yeah. And for some reason, if somebody sends you a video message, you have to watch it. Like you can't just <laughs> let it go, right? You have what the heck is this guy sending me a message for? So like it gives you that opportunity to connect in a in a unique way, and I, I love doing it that way. It's a it feels a little bit easier for me than 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 picking up the phone call because if I mess up, I can just re-record it real quick before I send yeah. it out, right? So it gives me that little that little feel good moment, but it's still unique in the follow up process. What do you think? So I'm a huge fan of video and, and a lot of people will say, oh my God, well, Dr. Cindy, like, I don't like being on video. I'm like, dude, that's what you look like. Like roll with it. Like, this is what they see. So <laughs> you you got to get over it, man. Like, this is it, right? doesn't get any better. This is what I look like. So, but I, I have to tell a quick story. I had a photographer that I was working with and I had never met her. She was somebody that was referred to me across the country. She's in New York. I'm in California. And the way that she built trust behind the camera before I even got there. So this kind of ties in all the pieces. Pieces, right? We had a plan for the shoot. We knew the shot list, all the things. She was sending me video of her, literally like her kids are in the backseat and she's like standing in a park and her kids are on the swing set, but she's telling me what I'm going to see behind the camera changed everything. I am willing to fly across the country to let her shoot me again because she built that trust and continued the follow-up. And by the way, every follow-up I get from her is a video, which I love. Yeah. And it's just your personality, exactly where you are, what you're doing. It doesn't matter. It's just who you are. And I think that gives that little authentic feel that's that people are, I think are, are trying to connect with because we're just bombarded so much with marketing stuff. We know when you're trying to sell us something and it's different when you're, when you're being a person versus being a, a marketer. I think that makes a big difference. All right. We're running low on time here. I want to make sure I, I get people to either follow you, go to where you need to go. People want to reach out to you, work with you, get a copy of your book. How can they do that? Uh, website, it's scrolling at the bottom, drcindy.com or at 1ST Lady of Sales on all the social media platforms. That's it right there, ladies and gentlemen. The first lady of sales. I love that. 1ST Lady of Sales. You guys can follow her on social and just check out her website city.com drcity.com and dr city you have such a wealth of knowledge and you make sales sound so fun i just can't see why people aren't going to go and at least check out your stuff um you're you're doing amazing things to get people away from the fear of sales because honestly honestly there's no cap to how much money you can make if you just embrace the fact that you are in sales uh even if it's an extra 500 bucks a month i mean nowadays that'll put gas in your car uh maybe a little bit extra buy you some eggs because right now they're like 10 bucks oh a or whatever it is but you're gonna need that extra income and sales is going to be one of those ways to get you so one more time drcindy.com or follow her on social first lady of sales on social media dr cindy thank you very much for coming on the show before we head out any final thoughts my final thought is remember that it's your responsibility to sell yourself so that others can help you. So know who you are, know the legacy you want to leave and ask people for help because they really do want to support you. Oh, couldn't have said it better myself. Ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys today. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast, but not just any podcast, podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.